Hey everyone and welcome to this episode of the Marketing Ideas Podcast. This has to be one of my all-time favourite episodes of uh, the Marketing Ideas Podcast and indeed any podcast that I've done. This episode I spoke with James Schramko of superfastbusiness.com about the idea of a product launch. James, uh, when he was working for another another business, he made millions in one weekend implementing this launch uh, idea or this launch process. And what was the business? Well, it was a car dealership. So if you're thinking, you know, this episode isn't for you because you don't sell cars, well, I'm sorry, people, but you are wrong. And if you don't see how it could work for your business, because I, I really do think this idea is applicable to almost any business. But if you can't see how it could work for you, get in contact via the marketingideaspodcast.com website and I will help brainstorm the ways in which you can implement a similar launch in your business. I hope you enjoy it and for real, get in contact if you don't know how it could apply for you and we'll see what we can do. Okay, so we're here with James Shremko today of Internet Marketing Speed and superfastbusiness.com. So thanks for finally joining me on the call, James. My pleasure. Uh, so what I wanted to talk to you today was about the, the idea of using a product launch strategy that we all know and love in the internet marketing world for taking it offline uh, with a, a real business. Um, I mean, internet marketing business is a real business, I suppose, but not just information marketing, but an actual physical product. So if you don't mind, can you just give us an overview of, of the, I think you were a... Uh, a manager at a, an auto dealership. Yeah, I used to I used to be the general manager of a Mercedes Benz dealership, and as part of my role, I took on responsibility for the website and our entire marketing department, plus you know direct sales force, service, finance, the works. And at the same time, I was learning internet marketing and applying everything that I knew about sales and marketing on this actual business which turned over around about 50 million dollars a year and then uh, we had an occasion to 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 have an event so i pretty much put everything that i'd been learning about the product launch process uh, from people like jeff walker combined it with stuff that i already knew in terms of you know marketing channels and joint ventures and all that sort of stuff and i put together a sequential launch for a real business. Awesome. So I guess uh, to start with, did you have a list of people to to launch to, or like customers and prospects? Yeah, most most businesses, uh, in, particularly motor dealerships, have got a database and most of them are not utilizing many marketing channels. They pretty much run with uh, newspaper advertisements and um, some of the volume dealerships do direct marketing, but with luxury car dealers, not so often. It's usually manufacturer biased, not so much local level. And um, they're, they're sort of a little bit behind in terms of the web channels. They don't really get that so well. You know, it's rare that you find someone doing a fantastic job of SEO or um, pay-per-click you know, or lead capture. 
So I built this database. They had, they had no email database. We built that up to thousands, I think seven or 8,000 by the time we ran this event. And uh, that was from zero. Plus we had the traditional um, customer base that we could draw on. And I actually drew up a whole map for the event that sort of segmented out the things that we needed to consider to be able to do this. And then I did a schedule that uh, sort of sequenced our rollout. And then, then we actually had the event itself and we had a few bits and pieces going on there that were, they actually sort of mirror the whole online process where you get to have, uh, you know, early bird specials and um, the option for people to, 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 to have things right now that would not be available in 48 hours from now. So you have that whole scarcity thing. It was, it was really quite a lot of fun. Had, had you done anything like this before, like in, or had you seen anything like this? Or was it completely- in, in the automotive industry, there are things called tent sales. And I, I, you know, it's such an old industry. They do have, and they have tried a lot of the marketing things. So they've created an event around stuff and they'd typically put up, you know, they'd close off the venue with Hessian or bunting and do a sausage sizzle and then bomb their customer list with direct marketing. And it has been done, but I don't think it's been done too scientifically. It's sort of more of a a, a razz up, you know, a bit of a a bit of a circus type thing to get that event atmosphere. But I think it missed some of the elements, um, such as the you know having that parachute where you can a, a, attack the client database from multiple levels at the same time or in a sequential rollout. That's the really sexy stuff that I think we were able to do with this launch. And what was the the reaction of other people, like your employees and your staff? Did they think you're a little bit bonkers, or because you were the boss, you could just you could implement it and it didn't matter? Yeah, I think like you know you're always going to have resistance to doing things in a in a way that is not really understood. The hardest thing is. To, where people just they just ask you know why that's not how we always do things, and it's really the only the owner of the owner of the business is the the person that I have to convince, and I managed to come up with a way to do it on a very low budget, which was always his focus. How can we not spend any money at all? Uh, <laughs> so we always had this conflict. I'm happy to invest money to make money, and the irony is that in my own business, I was making more profit with my part-time internet marketing business than the dealership was at that point. So I had a bigger customer list, for example, than the dealership's email database. I had a better computer in my home office than sitting in my workplace. So it was really a no-brainer at a certain point to cut loose and to leave that job to, to run my own business. Fair enough too. In fact, my own business now generates more profit each year than that entire $50 million a year business. And that's as a one-person show. So it's totally possible using exactly the same techniques. But when you when you add it to an established business, we got some pretty good results. So how did you how did you build up the the um, the email lists? Like, uh, was it if it's not just people who had previously purchased? Did you like if people came in looking for a car or looking for information, you added them to to a database, or how yep. did you? Did you do actually, any other? Well, you've, you're familiar with the concept of a name squeeze online where you, you give something away and collect an email address. Yeah. 
Well, I sort of did an offline version of that. I got this three-meter banner pr- printed, you know, for eight hundred dollars, and it was uh, win a luxury or win a luxury weekend in a Mercedes Benz, and it was a guessing competition, and it was like Mercedes Benz words, but it was missing the e, and they had to fill it in and guess what the missing letter was, just to, to uh, sort of work around the lottery laws in Australia, and they had to fill in their name, email address, and phone number. And by completing the form, they agreed to the terms and conditions, which were that we, we would send them email invitations and special offers, and they had to opt out of that if they didn't want to receive it on the form. And I would strategically take this thing around to trade events, you know, doctors, hospital, charity things, accounting meetings, uh, fates at schools in our area, uh, the 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 Willoughby City um, trade fair thing, like anywhere in our target audience, we would take this thing and collect names and that's how we built our database. And then we extended that, we put a point of sale thing, we actually put it inside our own business at the service desks and the parts counters so that people coming in to buy even a key ring would enter our uh, email invitation database. That's pretty cool that you were doing that offline when everyone thinks that the name squeeze and the adding to email list is a purely uh, an internet marketing thing. But no, it's absolutely not. And, and I even did the equivalent of, a, of joint venture partners. I actually did a checklist. I, I would assess a good fit for us, which is anyone who's got our customer. Uh, I would approach them for input and discuss ideas with them. I'd say, look, we've got a really great brand and fantastic customers at Mercedes-Benz. You've got a high-end product. And in this case, it could be music. It could be like a a superior sound system. It could be high-end art. It could be high-end wine. Uh, It could be high-end financial advice. And we did joint ventures with companies like Macquarie Bank and uh, a premium wine company, uh, Bang & Olufsen for for equipment and we would run events where I would have, we'd invite the three databases, the sound people would supply the sound, the wine people would supply the wine and the cheese, the art people would supply the art and we just had cars in the showroom, we'd supply the venue. So it cost me nothing to hold events with hundreds of people and of course they all go into the name capture. That's pretty cool. So what did you... um or did you, in fact, have any pre-launch content when you were leading up to this event? What, what kind of... Uh, one of the, we really had to work out a hook. That was yeah. one of the most important because it's, it's sort of hard to get some excitement around the car industry because it really is a very established industry. Everyone, everyone knows about it. They know where the local dealer is. They, you know, it's hard to get someone to spend $100,000 just because it seems like it's a one-off thing. So what we did is we found a hook. I um, arranged with the manufacturer to get the cream of the cream AMG range of vehicles and I positioned this as a rare AMG test drive weekend invitation. So that was our hook and in the lead up to that, we put content in the local media in the form of a press release about uh, about the, the AMG cars and how they're different to the normal ones and why... It's such a great thing that we've been able to get them to come and visit our suburb when they're normally, to assemble this many vehicles of that value is extraordinarily rare. 
So we, we talked about that we'd secured a rare fleet uh, that, and we made it exclusive. You could discover these hot AMG vehicles and they were, it was only at our dealership, only for this weekend coming. Uh, so we had, we, we basically had a very strong reason why someone would go out of their way to come in that particular weekend versus any other weekend. And then to support this, we did a full multi-channel media rollout which is the thing I'm the most proud of, and we tracked each channel as well uh, by utilizing a tracking device. And this, this is stuff I learned from, um, you know, scientific advertising and, and um, Jay Abraham studies. You know, I've, I've applied a lot more stuff to this than just what you learn in terms of a sequence. But we ran a banner across the front of the local paper. We ran an adver- advertisement in the regional paper, we ran multi-language advertising in the segments because in our area is a very high Chinese population. We did um, SMS. We did um, a direct marketing letter, a traditional mail piece. Yep. But it was a good one, not the crappy sort of sales brochure ones that you get that you throw in the bin. This had a headline and a caption and bullet points and a PS and it had an, a special um, bring this letter along to enter a, an exclusive door prize with a $600 value uh, AMG jacket. And people would literally walk in the door with this letter in their hand and put it into the, the thing and we actually measured the response. So it was, it was really fantastic. Um, we also did email broadcasts, blog posts, and paid advertising with pay-per-click, specifically targeting this event. And I can tell you, no dealer I've ever met anywhere has, has gone down to that sort of level of marketing channel for one particular event that I've ever actually seen. You know, if it happens, it has to be rare. Yeah, I've never heard of it or seen uh, it, but... Um Really, just like my, it was my little baby. It was my outlet to to see if I could just test everything that I've learned on someone else's dime. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. And <laughs> but the whole event, I mean, all of the costs, including the the site staff, the bar tables, you know, the ice cubes, balloons, graphics. <laughs> we did point of sale too. We had the sign writing out the front. We had we had um, you know an attention getter. Pay-per-click, email, artwork, uh, I'm talking even sausages, breads, rolls, the, the jacket to give away and all of the local advertising, uh, the total cost came in at $16,273. And how much did you make for that? We sold 3.05 million, uh, which is 22 vehicles at an average price of 83000 or thereabouts. So was it worth it or...? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it was. Yeah, we basically wiped out the market that weekend. <laughs> there was awesome. uh, there was 115 vehicles sold in the entire state, and we took out <laughs> we took out a quarter of them basically. Did Did you have a specific offer for that weekend? Yep. On the, on the vehicles. On every single vehicle, we had a was is price, which would be taken at the end of the weekend. So, that's so it had special pricing. Oh, okay. And, and um, you know, when you create that environment, you create that frenzy and you've got the social proof of hundreds of people in the showroom at the same time, 
the competition just goes through. You know, if someone sees someone sitting in a car and they want to buy it, they'll walk over to the salesperson and say, I want that car. And, you know, it's just crazy. It's the same showroom that was there the weekend before and will be there the next week. But because of the atmosphere, because of the, the buzz that you create, yep. it just puts people into a buying frenzy. Did you have much scarcity? Like, was it only the cars that were there? Or is it more the fact that there was that whole anticipation thing happening and people... Well, it's very rare that you can walk into a showroom in Australia because it's a pretty small market and see, you know, five or six of the, of the newest AMG models and be able to drive them. Normally, that's like the car's locked and you can't even sit in the thing. And here we were letting people drive them. And getting their sticky fingers all over the new, the new leather. <laughs> you know, and we had uh, some, some really good stats. Like we, we broadcast uh, our email list. We only had 18 people unsubscribe. We had, um, we had oh, you know, with our, with our targeted pay-per-click campaign, we'd land them on an event page with actual YouTube video of the vehicle embedded there and a test drive booking form. You know, it was very good uh, response mechanism. We, we queued, sorry, we queued up uh, an SMS broadcast, but there was a technical malfunction. So we probably missed some of the extra leverage we could have had, but we had a sequential text message built up. It was um, a series of things, but it was like a friendly reminder. There's $3.27 million worth of Mercedes-AMG at our, at our dealership this weekend only. We hope you can visit us was the, the sort of theme of the message. Do you, do you think there's much difference from like what you did with the Mercedes to what you might do on, online? I mean, it sounds to me like it's exactly the same and it's just a physical location as opposed to going to the sales page online. You're going to the actual dealership. Yeah, I think it's a good question because, you know, as I'm looking at this now, and this is over two years ago, which sort of gives you an idea how cutting edge it was. Uh, I'm looking at it now thinking, well, gosh, I've almost replicated most of this with my own business now, that my internet business, except I should be adding back in um, print media and, and newspaper and, and uh, offline press releases more. I do have some of these channels. I've got uh, live speakers under license. I have radio ads. I just have to explore more offline mechanisms to, to bring people into my sales funnel. So I think there's a lot of overlap. And the main point is that the techniques will work whether you have a retail store or whether you're selling information products online. I think there's a lot of the elements are the same. Come out with that big hook, come out with a multiple um, attack and having that scarcity, the social proof and um, bringing in partners, building up the customer base. I think we, I don't have the stats, but I think we had over a thousand people come through the, the dealership over two days. Wow. So we, we actually really built up our customer list. Did you notice that anybody that purchased, whether they were um, past customers or uh, new, new customers? Yep, we tracked each, each, um, each channel. By far the most sales came from our own direct marketing campaign. And I don't think that would be 
any different to my online business. When I run an event and I email my house list, I will sell more than everyone else. It's just they already like me, know me, trust me. And it's more of a, an upsell or a, a repeat sale than a fresh sale. So it was no surprise that I think 11 or 12 of the sales, half the sales were to our own direct response previous customer list. The, the next group that went really well was our email database, which had come from sourcing joint venture partners with the same customer base or overlap customer base. Yeah. So do you think that the whole no like and trust you is, a, is, I guess, one of the main benefits that comes from doing something like this? Well, we got to give great value to our customers. So anyone that came in was genuinely able to experience something that they normally can't. So there was no false scarcity. This was real. And we did have something special compared to the other dealers and the rest of the marketplace. So I think those customers would feel warm towards us. Yeah, because I mean, and I don't don't know cars very well, but I assume that they could get those cars somewhere else. Maybe not, they couldn't necessarily sit in them or drive them, but if they wanted to, they could buy them somewhere else. But you... Well, let me tell you how competitive it is. There, there were, I think there's nine dealerships within 45 minutes driving distance of each other in this Sydney metropolitan area. So, so Mercedes dealerships, you mean? Yeah, just selling exactly the same product. Like, if you want to cut your chops in a sales role, go and sell cars for a manufacturer, sell new cars because you've touched on the key point here. This, that customer can buy exactly the same product. I mean exactly the same product from any one of nine people in the same area. That's before they even go into state. So you have, to, you have to be very good at selling and marketing for them to buy it from you. And it's not always about price, which is the first reaction that people have. It's not about the price. If it was about price, there'd always be one uh, dealer that cuts everyone else that sells the most. But it doesn't work out that way. And the most profitable dealers don't have to be the cheapest dealers and they don't have to sell the most cars, but they have to do it. They have to have the best relationship with their customer base. Did you do you know if the the dealership since you've left have continued trying out these ideas of yours? <laughs> I'd say oh. there's almost no chance. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, it's my grandfather was a great mentor of mine, and he explained to me like this. He said, "Never, never think you'll be missed when you leave somewhere. It's like taking your hand out of a bucket of water. You know, it's just not going to leave a gap." Uh, I would say within months it would have worked its way back to traditional old way that everyone does stuff. You know? yeah. it's, and the files that I have in my hands right now could make any dealership in this country millions of dollars over the next few years and most dealers are too stupid to implement any of this stuff, even though it's freely out there in the marketplace um, to go and gather like I did. I went and gathered all the bits and pieces I needed to pull it off to get the toolkit that was more powerful than what everyone else had. Most people just won't do it. They're just, just not even thinking. They're just turning up, doing what they always did and then going back to it and wondering why, wondering why they're having trouble paying the bills. Yeah, and I suppose it's conditioning as well. If someone's done a certain way before them and then before them and before them. It's like, well, that's the way it's done. 
and you don't change anything, unfortunately. That's it. So I, I suspect that I'd suspect that it's not being done and it's not because they don't have the blueprint. It's not because they haven't experienced it firsthand. It's just because they don't get it. They just it's just that's what someone else does. It's you know, they'll probably associate what happened with me rather than the process. Yeah, fair enough. Did the was that the owner of the dealership was he pleased with uh, what you managed to do at the time? Oh, he's he was very pleased with what I was able to deliver that business in the time that I was there over the years. Uh, we had a significant turnaround in profitability uh, to the point where we have a great relationship and he gave me permission to use this case study um, to, to uh, you know, he was so thrilled with the results, you know, that yep. I'd earned the ability to, to talk about what we did there. I sought permission on that because I figured that it would be useful information. Oh, absolutely. That's good that he let you do that as opposed to keeping a hold of the... Anyway, the intellectual property. But so what do you reckon was the, the biggest, your biggest takeaway from doing a launch like this? Because I, I guess you've, you've done similar things since with your internet marketing business. Yeah, it's... it's um, well, you know, like I said, it, it was a way for me to test it out and see the results. I've never done a massive launch with my internet marketing business because there are elements of it that I'm cautious about, but I do small ones in the background that nobody sees. They're very subtle, very powerful, and they suit the way that I run my business. And I think that if I got anything from it, it was the epiphany that, gosh, I'm doing this for someone else and it works. Perhaps I should just do this in my own business. Yeah, I, I can understand why you might think like that after the results that you get. Yeah, well, the thing is, you know, I tested it out without having the big brand and the big product because Mercedes-Benz has a lot of brand equity. But being a no-name in a market with massive open barriers and open competition uh, and still being able to pull it off, then it means the process works. And even when I do it on a micro level, I mean, I can send out an email to... 30 people and have 20 of them sign up for something that costs thousands of dollars. In terms of conversions, it's a whole bunch better than just driving people to a typical sales page. And why is that, do you think? Because using all the same elements, you're finding that special hook and you're layering it out in a in a sequence that you know develops power as it goes through the, the process just simple things like taking a sales button off a page and making people apply or fill out a survey first and then um, and have you know make them want it a little bit more before you let them have access to it and filter them a bit more it really increases that scarcity and the the demand goes up and I suppose it gives the the perceived value that that you're after, like it's it's not just for everybody. It's yeah, you have to prove right. yourself first. Yeah, absolutely. Did you find that there was anything that you tried that didn't work out so well? Yes, there's always things that don't work out. I mean, we had a technical glitch with the SMS, so that was that was um, unfortunate. Um, most of the media channels fired really well. 
Um, got a, I had a list of things that we would look at next time. It's little things like, you know, where you position your name capture within the room, making sure you've got enough people in the right places. Um, I'll see if I can find that because there's just a few things. But one of the things on my spreadsheet is after every event, we check and we, um, we see what we could fix for next time. So it's important to have that little feedback loop. For next time, we had here more briefing prior to the event to let people know what's going on, um, to have cash on hand. We actually had more people wanting to buy things than we could service. We didn't have enough terminals for small purchases, so we actually need to have some more ways of collecting the money, which is very similar to an online launch. Um, the display area could have been optimized a little more, and I would say the analogy with an online business would be, you know, the checkout upsell process. And um, safety, in this case, we had more activity than we expected, so we had, you know, we would have got more witches' hats and a more dedicated area for the launching of the drives. Extra stock, we just didn't have enough stock. We sold everything we had. And uh, gift for buyers, we could have really enhanced that upsell with a, a better gift. Uh, so they're my notes that I made at the time. That's, I suppose that's a very good idea and a, a good point that after you do any kind of launch or just a, a promotion that you should sit down and mind map it out or at least take notes as to what you can do. Yeah, every, every, everything you do, it's not even just a launch. I had good advice from Peter Drucker and he said the power in decisions is not how long it takes to make the decision or not even what you decide. It's after the event, analyzing was it a good idea or not in hindsight and learning what you can from that decision after to you know, compare it to the result you anticipated yep. and make changes for the next time. That's very, very smart. I suppose you could do that with anything you do, even if it's yep. like after this call, I could sit down and bang my head against the wall for not asking you a specific question or <laughs> Wait, a sales call or something like that. You can always call me back and join it in as if <laughs> it was always there the whole time. Yeah, true. I guess people would never know. <laughs> <laughs> so do you reckon that because um, you see, well, I've seen the term anyway, the rolling launch, which I guess is just – people every couple of months they have a sequence so it's kind of like they're doing a new launch every three months or something do you think yep. do you see that there's benefit to doing that as opposed to just doing the once every three years that we see with these new products that come out with in the internet marketing you know like yeah uh, my whole my business relies a lot more on rolling launches than one-off launches yeah i'm i'm not a I don't need to sell new things every week to make money because my business doesn't rely on churn and burn. You know, I'm not doing the big, the, the big shock and awe event, milking my list and um, hammering them. A lot of my products just sell on autopilot and they're evergreen on little rolling launch. An example of that would be uh, my fastwebformula.com site. That is a squeeze page taking people through a sequential training um, with suggestions and I've been doing joint ventures around the, the side of that where I do targeted campaigns to, to people with the correct customer base and we basically just join them up into that sequential rolling product and, uh, and it works really, really well. 
by a certain point in the sequence, most people have bought something, and then you know as it goes, it's using all the elements you'd be familiar with, um, like time limited scarcity uh, bundles. There's all sorts of stuff going on. The further people get down the track, as soon as they buy, they get taken out of the track. And into, I guess, the, the next to the buyer's track. Yeah, they're going to the next sequence. My membership site is always closed to the public and it has a rolling sequence. Uh, my mastermind group is on a three-month sequence. So it's, I, I use that, you know, 101 product launch for that. Probably a little bit more tailored, but it's small volume, high price, um, and highly, highly effective, like 70% closing rate. Gee, that's not so bad. Yeah. <laughs> so, how do you get your joint venture partners, and also, I guess, offline with the the Mercedes? Do you just you just ring you would approach them, you ring up and say, "Hey, look, you know, this is what we do, and we have these customers, and they're a good fit for your business as well." Like you, because you said that you approach people that have got your clients or your customers. Yep. Yeah, I, I do a little. It's very simple, but I just do a checklist of everything that my customer owns. And I found trends, you know, a lot of Mercedes-Benz clients own high-end audio equipment at home. A lot of my Mercedes-Benz clients had a Harley-Davidson or a Ducati. Don't ask me why, they just do. It's just very, very common. Um, so it's, you know, it's easy to identify who may have your ideal customer list. But you could bundle that into a luxury thing. It's just certain things in that luxury set that people have. Luxury people like fine food, fine dining, fine clothing, travel, um, you know, a good, sort of, um, good sort of furniture and nice real estate and, uh, and they also, they deal through, um, you know, they get the better doctors and, and accountants working for them. So it's actually very, very easy to, to pull through to the next um, provider that that might have your customer base. Yeah, and I, I think that's a good point that you make about who has your customers and approaching them. Yeah. Because how do I make it easy for them? I, in my case, I give them recurring commissions yep. and track that customer through my cart for all purchases as long as they're the last referrer. So it's uh, it's the, like the easiest money they've ever made in their life. I pay them for the email, I pay them for the sale and I pay them recurring. Like the, there's no downside for them really. So people don't get all twisted in a knot that you're taking their customers and all this? Yeah, because I get twisted in a knot when people want me to send my customers to their squeeze page. Yeah. Like I'm not selling my customer out for that. I don't need a big list. I make more than a million dollars a year off a small list. So I, I don't need to have a... Th- you know, 300,000 customers to make money. The thing is, I treat my customers like gold and I'm never going to sell them out. They just won't get pimped to a product on my list and I'm attracting more customers than I have to, to give. So, you know, people find me and they want to promote my stuff because they know that I look after their customer. They'll, they'll never have their customer email them and say, oh, you know, I'm pissed off that you sent me to this guy. They usually get the opposite. They go, thanks so much for hooking me up with blah, blah, blah. And everyone's happy. Yeah. They're making commission. My customer's getting value. 
and I've, I've got a customer for life. So I think you could, that's sort of my take on the potential risks of going overboard with um, you know, sloshing that customer around from list to list to list. I think it can be overdone. Absolutely. And I think you've put yourself in a very power, powerful position where people are seeking you out, like actively seeking you out to, um, to you know, promote to their customers as opposed to you having to, I guess, approach other people um, like a lot of people do. And well, I've never approached out. anyone. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's always someone approaching me. It's, I have a pool marketing funnel. And I've never, I've actually never emailed someone and said, can you promote my product? Not once. And that gives me a good position. And when I, when I promote other people's products, quite often I'll do it via other channels other than my list. It sounds ridiculous, but I'll do SEO, I'll do paid advertising, I'll do articles, I'll do uh, blog posts, but I, I might not necessarily even email my list about it um, until until the squeeze page comes down and it's time to buy and then I'll make sure I offer bonuses or free training just to even justify them opening the email from me. And that's how, on some of my lists, my open rates are above 80% and my click-throughs are in the 60s for a lot of my emails. It's pretty good. You've definitely built up your fan following, that's for sure. Yeah, well, I'd, you know, I, I just, I really, really enjoy looking after those customers. It's like I'm their custodian I have to protect them. <laughs> I've got to offer them value. Well, that's very nice to hear. <laughs> and, you know, I'm sure some of that comes from working with luxury brands. You can't, you can't abuse a customer who's spending three or $400,000 a purchase. You have to look after them because next time they want to buy something, you need them to pick the phone up and ring you. And if you, if you have that sort of relationship with clients, and you translate that to a $17 information product, instead of treating those people like peasants, that's when your list equity grows. And it doesn't have to be a big list, but it's a strong list. And it puts you in a good position too. If you want to be involved in someone else's product launch, it's actually quite easy to get a good ranking. If you truly believe in the product and you offer a great bonus and you do promote it, then you know you can promote it with integrity, and you'll actually go well in in um, in terms of actual sales, pound for pound. You know you can beat off people yeah. with massive lists. Yeah, that's. I think that's the thing that attracts me to. I guess the idea of the launch uh, and the seat, um, the, the whole strategy isn't necessarily the launch, but it's the building up of the list and the relationship that goes with it. Exactly, um, it's. The, it's the, um, you know, the people who dominate these competitions usually have been the one with the most recent launch <laughs> because they have the freshest customer list. It's, yeah. it's what they do with that list that, that's important after that point. Yeah, and I think it's, it's important. Well, this is my opinion anyway that um, this is something that needs to go offline to, to real world businesses as opposed to just, is it doesn't seem to be, uh, the the thing to do is to keep care of your customers just you know on a day-to-day basis of restaurants beauty salons plumbers, oh, most of those people have they have no idea no of what to do with their customers they'll just bomb you with a, a html sales brochure if you're lucky right. <laughs> yeah yeah that's if they actually even use email but if they do they usually use it very poorly um 
a little more science behind their campaigns can get a dramatically different result. Yes, and and doing what you did about like the squeeze sign or the squeeze page offline. Yeah, that's you know that was really innovative. It was great, you know, to build up a good customer base of prospects for nothing. Was you know cost eight hundred dollars for the for the sign and a few hundred bucks for the printing. It was really quite innovative. And then you could like mail those people again and again. Not just necessarily. Yeah, you could email. What we would do is we'd put good content on the site and then email them an update. Um, in fact, there's this there's this offline brochure that we used to do, and I used to just turn it into a PDF and put it on the website, and then email the list and say, "Look, we've just sent out the quarterly newsletter, and you can get an early bird copy online if you click here." And they'd go and download it, and in there were calls to action with um, special offers. Yeah, like doing the monthly newsletter. Quarterly, I think we. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. You know, sort of six-page, fully blown production. You know, as you can imagine, they charge an arm and a leg for that. Yeah. And then you just uploaded one copy, and then you've got a limited, um, an unlimited. Yeah, supply. I took my information marketing knowledge to know that I could distribute this much further than just putting it into people's letterboxes. Well, no doubt it ended up in the recycling. No doubt. Anyway, <laughs> well, that's awesome. Um, I, I, yeah, I'm no doubt I'll hang up and I'll um, think of something else, but thanks very much for uh, answering the questions that I actually did write down. Well, good on you for asking. You know, it's been over two years and uh, I did mention to someone else that I had this information and you're the first person to actually ask me to go through it. So you've got the probably the world's greatest automotive dealer marketing kit right there in your hands. Yes, well, I mean, if some dealership was to get their hands on this audio, then they should definitely give you a call. Should, and they should, should whatever they paid for it, they, sh- they should count themselves lucky because <laughs> this thing makes money. Absolutely. I hope you enjoyed that episode. As I said at the beginning, that was one of my all-time favourite interviews and episodes. And I truly believe that any business can implement that blueprint that James spoke about. There's numerous examples I could give you, and he's laid it out step by step exactly how you can put it to work for you in your business. 